Welcome everyone to NGW's In A Nutshell podcast, which takes stock of the most important developments shaping the global gas industry. I'm happy to be joined again by Thierry Bross, Professor at Sciences Po Paris, and Anne-Sophie Corbeau, a global research scholar at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs. Uh, today, we will once more be delving into the status of the European energy market. But before we get into that, uh, we'll also be looking at uh, the current energy crisis and the outlook in Asia and in other areas. Um, so, Anne-Sophie, Anne thank you for joining us once more. A lot of attention has been on the impact of the global energy crisis on Europe. Um, but can you elaborate more on the impact on uh, Asian markets uh, in terms of the economy and and the environment? And uh, can you comment uh, somewhat on the outlook? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of attention has been indeed given to Europe. But when you are looking at Asia, it's quite visible that Asian gas consumption has actually declined as well. And in particular, it has declined in China. Uh, I had to look back at the statistics uh, to find a single year where uh, when Chinese gas consumption actually declined. And I had to go back to the 80s, to the beginning of the 80s. So it has been wow. 40 years since we saw Chinese gas consumption declining. And apparently, the, according to the first estimate, it has declined between anywhere between 1% and 1.7%. But for a market like China, which is one of the largest markets after uh, the United States and Russia, this is a, a quite a substantial decline. And there were mm -hmm. two reasons behind uh, that decline. The first one is, of course, like everywhere else in China, the very high gas prices, spot prices, but but also the fact that China uh, was suffering from COVID-led restrictions. So the zero COVID policy impacted particularly uh, industrial uh, activity. And this is something that we have seen also in terms of economic activity in general in China. Looking at uh, other countries in Asia, we have seen also a relatively steep decline in India, uh, also because for them, uh, spot energy was clearly not affordable, also in Japan, in Korea, and in particular in Southeast Asia. I would say that, you know, for me, one of the most striking things was what happened in Bangladesh and Pakistan, where those two countries could simply not afford to buy the very expensive spot energy and had to resort to either have nothing. Uh, and do remember that there were some very important blackouts in Pakistan last year and also some very significant heat waves or resorting to alternative fuels and in particular to oil products or coal. So this is not particularly great for the environment, but this is a situation that we have seen in Asia. Uh, to conclude, I would like to add also that in general, we have seen gas consumption declining in particular in the power sector in Asia. Uh, this is where usually uh, gas is not particularly competitive against other technologies, and in particular, it was too expensive, especially for those countries who are depending on spot LNG supplies. Mm -hmm. and, and Thierry, um, uh, staying with China, uh, can you uh, comment a bit on the uh, kind of direction of uh, its uh, security of supply strategy and 
perhaps how it's been impacted uh, by events over the last year and uh, what are the global implications of that? Yes, I mean, perhaps uh, one comment after Anne-Sophie, I think China is moving away from the uh, zero COVID policy and so therefore there will be uh, a boost in, in gas demand. We, we are already seeing it a little bit. But I think uh, what, what, what's very important uh, if we were to relate this to Europe, I mean, remember in Europe we are talking about uh, uh, limiting people, mobility, limiting, I mean, there are people talking about this. And what you see is even in China, you can't do it. So I think uh, we are uh, very uh, into our way of life. We want to continue to travel. And so therefore, we have to look in a world where people will continue to travel. Even the Communist Party in China had to leave its zero uh, COVID policy. So that's the first element. The second element I think, and uh, this podcast is particularly well-timed because as we uh, speak, uh, we have uh, uh, President Ursula von der Leyen from the Commission and President Macron uh, from France uh, meeting uh, President Xi in China. And, and I think we have to stop being naive about China. Uh, China will need a, a lot of energy going forward and has a master plan in terms of security of supply. And the master plan is, uh, I would say, twofold. One is uh, what the French used to do back 20 years ago. And the, it's a very simple master plan. It's uh, looked uh, like, uh, I would say, uh, Winston Churchill was uh, designing those for uh, the UK back uh, last century, which, uh, which is about diversification of supply, which means uh, I take Russian pipe gas and at the same time, I build regas to be able to have more LNG uh, going forward. But I think the master plan is uh, a way more Machiavellic. Uh, I think we have to keep in mind that China doesn't have enough gas storage. So therefore, China has to look at its security of supply at the peak, not at the base load as we do in Europe, because we have the ability to fill our storage during summer. And so therefore, China is going to dimension its uh, LNG and its gas purchase to meet the peak, because the Communist Party doesn't want to uh, have the Chinese freezing uh, in plain winter. And this means that China will be along uh, in summer. And we've seen this back uh, a few years ago. I mean, the uh, Communist Party states that you can trade gas, retrade gas, resell gas, uh, resell LNG in summer, not in winter. And, and I think this is going to put further stress on the Europeans uh, because we do not have such a master plan. We may end up being short in gas all year long, and China may be in a position to resell us its uh, gas in summer at a spread, at a positive spread, which means that at the end of the process, we will have to pay our energy higher than the Chinese. Remember, back 20, 30 years ago, there was what was called uh, Asian premium oil. It disappeared. I think the Chinese are trying to address the, the way they are addressing their uh, long-term supply to make sure that there will be an European premium in LNG. And if we have an European premium in LNG, we are going to suffer from this because we will not be at a level playing field. And they can have, and they can do this in many, many ways, but I think we have to understand that we shouldn't be naive. We have to be in competition versus China. We cannot just say, well, uh, the Chinese will contract all the gas we need and they will sell us to us uh, when we need it. It's not going to work and it's not the master plan of the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so 
moving on to Australia. Um, and Sophie, uh, the market is facing domestic shortages. Uh, we've seen the government intervene into that market to try and address that shortage. Um, so with, with an energy price cap uh, introduced in December and uh, a proposed restriction on LNG exports, um, would you like to comment on what's happening there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, based in Europe, we are a little bit far away of what is happening in some parts of the Asian region. And I don't think uh, there has been that many comments about what is happening in Australia. Of course, uh, the Chinese and the Japanese, who are very large buyers of Australian energy, are extremely concerned. So to explain a little bit, and this is not a new situation, actually, uh, the eastern part of Australia has been facing gas shortages for quite a long time. I cannot even remember the first time I heard about that. And this is also a region which has been planning to install import LNG terminals, which have been planned for quite a long time. This is also a region, if you are looking a little bit at the north in Gladstone, which has also three large LNG export plants. And the problem is that this region is facing shortages. And these shortages are because becoming more and more acute. So they have designed a few years ago, it was in 2017, a so-called Australian domestic gas security mechanism, which would give the government the potential to actually uh, limit the exports. Of course, I mean, Australia is also considered as a, as a very reliable uh, LNG exporter. So the government is uh, in this very difficult position that they might now have to restrict uh, LNG exports if there is not enough gas uh, for the domestic market. And unlike the previous version of the uh, security mechanism, this is going to be decided on a quarterly basis rather than an annual basis and therefore tell the exporters well very sorry but you know uh, you have to restrict that uh, of course there is a little bit of margin uh, in terms of spot energy supply so definitely you know first of all when you are looking at energy exports you are not allowing anything which is spot but you leave the contract but we might be in a situation where indeed if the shortages were becoming too acute uh, the australian governments would have to maybe consider uh, telling the companies well sorry but you know there is uh, you need to reduce lng exports why is this important this is important because we are still right now in a relatively tight global lng market and we need every single molecule of lng so last year we had uh, the accident with freeport lng which removed a very important part of uh, of uh, lng supply i mean on average it was about 10 billion cubic meters for the whole year and uh, the, the impact of Australia has still to be assessed, it might be much lower, but you know, the point is we need every single molecule of LNG in the world. Okay, and um, so six months ago, uh, concerns about rolling blackouts in Europe, if it had turned out to be a very cold winter, um, uh, that didn't happen, obviously, but uh, we were having those kind of problems in Central Asia, which is an overlooked market, an overlooked crisis was happening there. Um, staying with you and Sophie, uh, what can you say about that? 
Yes, I think, you know, nobody is really paying attention to that specific region. I mean, which is quite complex, I have to say, when I was working for BP and doing the, the statistics on that region, that was a very complicated part of the energy and the gas system. But what is happening uh, in those, especially two countries, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and I would like to point out uh, the, uh, the blog that uh, my colleagues uh, Akos Loss and Tatiana Mitrova have written about that. So we have two countries which are large gas producers. They are also exporters of natural gas to China. Uh, in, in both cases, I mean, uh, especially in, in Kazakhstan, the gas demand has, has been increasing over the past decade, is continuing to increase, and, and they have been facing over the past winter extremely cold weather. I understand that in Tashkent it had not been that cold for the past 50 years. So we are talking about like minus 30 degrees, you know, temperatures that we in Europe are not even used to. And of course, you are combining a very high peak winter demand because people want to have heating with relatively old infrastructure and with the fact that at the same time these countries are exporting to China except that Kazakhstan has actually stopped the exports to China uh, so again I mean that could you know play very well into what Thierry said about you know the imperative for China to actually uh, secure its energy and, and uh, as far as uh, Uzbekistan is concerned, I mean, they, they have also been facing some, some very tight uh, gas supply and demand situation. So what we have seen in 2022 is that actually uh, the gas exports from those two countries has been declining. Usually it had been around 11, 12 billion cubic meters, but last year it was only 8 billion cubic meters, which is, you know, still a relatively significant quantity when you are looking at the Chinese gas market. So, you know, we have not really paid attention to that situation, that situation, especially if the exports from Central Asia to China are declining, maybe to zero, maybe to anywhere between zero and 8 BCM, but 8 BCM seems very stretched right now, would mean that China would have to import that missing gas from somewhere else. And somewhere else, this is a global energy market. And as Thierry mentioned, China has been buying an absolute incredible amount of LNG over the past few years. And it would be very foolish for us to assume that you know this LNG is maybe going to be resold to us like it had been during last summer. But during winter, the fiesta is over security of supply first, and China will keep the LNG, especially the LNG that it has contracted, and maybe go to the market if really uh, they need additional spot LNG. But the most important thing as far as China is concerned is that they have been contracting record amounts of LNG over the past two years, and this is very much set to continue. Uh, we heard about another potential new record contract. There was a one with Sinopec last year, 4 million tons over 27 years, largest contract ever signed. And now there is potentially another one again with Qatar Energy. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, go ahead, Thierry. Yeah, yeah, yeah if I may, I think. What we have to understand is, yes, uh, we didn't have any blackouts uh, this uh, winter in Europe, but the crisis is far from over. I think that's really uh, what, what, what we should uh, keep in mind and what perhaps policymakers are, uh, again, uh, forgetting. I mean, policymakers just realize, fine, we didn't have any blackouts, everything is okay, uh, and then we can look at 2030 targets, 2050 targets. No, 
the crisis isn't over. Uh, we've, uh, we cannot assume uh, that uh, plants operate at 100% all over the time. That doesn't work. I mean, plants can operate at 100% for a, a extreme uh, when, when there is an extreme need for a short period of time. And Norway has done this, by the way. Norway did help us. Uh, but uh, as Anne-Sophie uh, mentioned, I mean, you will face some... Uh, uh, unplanned uh, issues, you will face some issues, whatever production, transportation, you will face those issues. And we are short in gas right now. So if we want to get away from this crisis, we need to think of it uh, in the short, medium and long term. And again, uh, I speak as a French, not only do we have uh, an energy crisis in front, but we still have a nuclear crisis on top of it, where nuclear plants are not going to operate at uh, the required level, which means that we are going to face potentially more difficult times next winter. Mm -hmm. well, on top well, of we'll... that, if I may add, we still have a very tense situation as far as hydro is concerned. I mean, in France, uh, at the beginning of February, we realized that we had been going for an entire month without any significant rain. So this situation has somehow improved. But I think, you know, uh, people are starting to realize that Hydro, which, you know, was pretty much considered as a, almost a given, may not be available. And the drop in hydro generation that we had last year was absolutely substantial. And this is the reason why we were continuing to use natural gas in the power generation. And it had been particularly acute in some countries which have a lot of hydro uh, generation, usually in particular Spain, Italy and France. So we need to be very careful. And, you know, there are a lot of things that governments in Europe can be prepared for and that they can push forward, including developing renewable generation, uh, improving the energy efficiency and do more in terms of energy savings. But nuclear generation, hydro levels and the weather, because we have been very lucky last year, are something which is which totally outside of the government's control. So we have to keep in mind that right now the situation may look very reassuring the prices have come down although they still remain high but as Fatih Birol mentioned you know earlier this year we are not out of the woods yet mm -hmm. okay and I, I want to keep on uh, Europe but uh, first I just want to circle back to Central Asia so uh, yeah both both Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan facing uh, gas gas uh, shortages and at the height of uh, their problems with that, uh, there was there were talks with Moscow about Moscow supplying extra gas to those countries. Um, can you envisage? Uh, obviously, Russia is looking for new outlets for its gas, which you know it can't can't put onto the European or, or isn't putting onto the European market right now. Um, can you see? Can you envisage Russia supplying more gas to Central Asia and then? those Central Asian countries in turn being able to uh, bump up supply or at least maintain supply to, to China? Uh, and Sophie. I mean, yeah, when Russia first uh, made this proposal, I think it was before the winter became extremely cold. So it was, I understand, politely refused by both countries. But now that we have been facing this very acute crisis, uh, Russia came back again. And of course, you know, there was a question also about uh, taking over some of the network operations. So, you know, which was not particularly something that both governments in Central Asia were keen to see happening. So I understand that this uh, requirement has 
been dropped. But yes, it could be a possibility. Uh, we need to be very much aware that uh, Russia is looking for other outlets for its gas. Uh, Central Asia could be one. I mean, you need to be realistic about what you can do. And there is an existing network with Central Asia, at least. Uh, there is no pipeline, no existing pipeline between the traditional producing regions in Russia and China. The gas which is currently being exported is a gas which is produced in the eastern part of Russia. It has nothing to do with those fields which were traditionally supplying Europe and which uh, now, of course, are producing much less. I think we have to keep in mind that Gazprom uh, production went down by 100 uh, BCM last year. And so, I mean, it's 20%. So it, it, they need to find other ways. It needs to find uh, other uh, export markets. It's, it's cheap, yes. There will be a question about infrastructure. There will be a question about uh, price. But remember, the cost of this gas is uh, uh, very cheap and uh, it's nearly a same cost as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so back to Europe. Um, what uh, what EU regulatory movements are you both uh, keeping an eye on right now? Uh, Thierry, let's start with you. Yes, uh, perhaps a, a, an added element on, on the crisis in Europe. I mean, uh, it's it's sure. the right time to have this uh, podcast. Remember, we are closing some nuclear plants in Germany uh, in the coming days, which means that uh, we are going to tighten the system again and again and again. So I think that's that's really uh, where, where we have to be uh, realistic. And I think um, the uh, dogmatic approach in, in Brussels should be uh, challenged and we should look at um, a much more pragmatic element. So that, I think, is, is the first element. And again, stop being naive vis-à-vis China. They won't provide us the gas we need uh, if, uh, if they need it themselves. What, what I'm looking uh, right now at is the um, electricity market because I think uh, what we have is uh, extreme high electricity prices. I disagree with the Commission when the Commission says it's uh, uh, the fact that uh, the uh, war in Ukraine pushed gas prices up and so therefore pushed the electricity price up. Yes, it's, it's true, but it's only half of the equation. I believe that the other half of the equation, which again, what Anne-Sophie mentioned is very important, what can government do? Uh, and uh, the other half of the equation is what I call greenflation. I mean, if you if you just think that between 2018 and 2023, the price of CO2 was multiplied by 10, uh, the cost of pollution of, a ga- of electricity from a coal firepower plant, which we use and we continue to use at, at the European level in Germany and Poland often, uh, was a nine euro per megawatt hour back uh, in 2018. It's now 90 euro per megawatt hour, which means that the price of electricity will stay high for a European citizen. And so therefore, uh, redesigning the electricity uh, market is a must. I think it should have been done with the Green Deal. I think this is this will have uh, this is a consequence of the Green Deal, green, uh, green inflation. And I think this is where we have to look at. And, and I think uh, this commission has little time left to do this. And the next commission may face uh, a European parliament that will be perhaps less pro-European. So if we want to find something that is uh, European-wide, we need to think of it right now. And it cannot just be uh, small changes. I think we have 
to look at, and, and, and I'm very much in favor of the Greek proposal, to look at uh, the difference between the balancing electrons and the non-balancing electrons, uh, and, and to say that in a, a commodity market, you trade the balancing stuff, not the non-balancing stuff. And so therefore, nuclear, uh, a renewable that has a priority injection on the grid should be treated differently, should be at cost plus, and the one should be at a market price. Uh, again, if you say this, uh, you're not going to be uh, very popular with the renewable industry. But at the end of the day, where, where do we want to be popular? Do we want to be popular with the lobby or do we want to be uh, popular as uh, a policymaker with citizens that have the right to vote? That I think is the interesting question. Mm -hmm. Anne-Sophie? I think, you know, uh, it's worth first looking back at what happened in 2022 and compare what has happened with uh, the Repower EU objectives. So you may remember that when the first document was published in March and then subsequently uh, in May, the second version, I mean, there were a certain number of objectives for 2022. So increase by 50 billion cubic meters of LNG has been achieved, to my greater surprise, but that was also partially thanks to China. Uh, increase in terms of uh, pipeline supplies has been also achieved, uh, thanks in particular to Norway, but uh, you know that's, uh, that's something that we can also say. Uh, increase in terms of bioethane production, no, not quite, not quite, but uh, you know, uh, I think it takes time to increase that. Uh, in terms of the energy savings, we have also managed to achieve that, although I have to say a little bit of that is also due to uh, industrial gas demand destruction, but there has been a real effort in uh, the residential sector also, partially helped by mild weather, but still I think people have, have understood also maybe because they were paying a much higher prices uh, that, you know, you need to reduce your consumption. Where I think we have been failing a little bit short, but again, you know, this is something that we need to work upon is in terms of the renewable uh, deployment. We are still facing all these issues and I mean, we, we absolutely need and uh, I, understand, I think the European Commission and the government definitely understand that we need to deploy that much faster, especially if we want to reach those very ambitious 2030 objectives. So, you know, I think every year we need to see where we are and where we stand compared to the 2030 targets and understand what needs to be improved. Now, on all the measures that have been, uh, you know, set in place by the European Commission as well as the government, well, first, uh, the price cap that was decided at the end of December last year uh, has been particularly well uh, put in place because, in fact, the gas prices have started to decline pretty much at that time. However, this is now a feature of uh, the market which is present. So I think we need to understand in the long run whether this is going to affect the way that people are trading and basically covering themselves. Um, also, I mean, I hear more and more about potentially uh, restricting or banning Russian LNG because we still have Russian LNG coming uh, to the market, uh, to, sorry, going to the European market and to the European countries right now. I mean, there could be different outcomes, as I've recently written about that, uh, if we ban Russian energy. You could imagine that there would be a perfect swap, uh, that we would send this Russian energy to any other country in Asia and that we would get other supplies in return. That would be, if we are very lucky, 
There could be also a situation where the market is actually tightening and you say goodbye to those Russian LNG supplies. However, they are not coming back uh, towards you. So we will be left with much lower LNG supplies than anticipated. And of course, there is always a possibility, as it happened in 2022, that Mr. Putin is going to retaliate if we are putting any additional measure, uh, restricting the flows of uh, Russian LNG or Russian pipeline gas. Uh, granted, uh, this is still a threat which is upon us, whether we are taking any additional measure on Russia or not. I mean, Putin can decide to do whatever he wants. Uh, he doesn't care, actually, given where he is now. So, you know, my point is, before we act, we need to really prepare. And this goes back to our reflections on the fact that the gas market is still very tight. We are not out of, out of the woods yet. We need to be extremely proactive in terms of continuing to reduce the demand. And I think this is exactly why the European Commission decided to extend the 15% gas demand reduction a couple of weeks ago. And we need also to be extremely proactive in terms of securing LNG and natural gas in a very tight market. Now, there is this new energy platform, which is, you know, going to start. Let's see, you know, how successful this is. But we need to be very realistic about the fact that the situation right now is 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 better than it was last year, but it's still extremely tight. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, would you... it, go ahead. It, it, if I can add uh, two things, thanks, and Sophie. Uh, think what we have to keep in mind in terms of order of magnitude is that uh, we are receiving uh, Russian pipe gas from Gazprom and Russian LNG, and if you add the two together, it's something like a bit more than ten percent of our uh, demand. As, as we speak. So 10% is, is, is important in, in a very tight market. So that's the first element I, I wanted to share. The second element, I, I really like, and Sophie, what, uh, how you stated, we have to look at what we've achieved in uh, 2022. And I'll add one element, uh, if you allow me, uh, and Sophie, um, it, it's on the CO2, because at the end of the day, what, what matters is the CO2 emission. And CO2 emission might uh, be reduced. We'll see what the, the data are. But if you look at CO2 for power generation, because we've replaced the uh, nuclear by coal, it has increased. That's a problem. That's a problem. We, 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 we are not going in the right direction in power generation. That's I think, is really a failure of uh, the European Commission, and in particular, in this case, the French and the Germans. And in particular, we have been reducing our CO2 emissions also because of reduced industrial activity. I mean, uh, I still think, you know, we might see eventually some effects or some impact in the long term. But for the moment, uh, we need to be realistic about what has actually happened. And I totally agree with uh, Thierry on the fact that uh, power generation, it it's not a happy picture. Absolutely not. It's a very worrying picture. actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, uh, Thierry, any closing remarks? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I would like to do my closing remark on the uh, 2030 uh, renewable target. I, I, I think mm -hmm. we are way uh, too much uh, dogmatic here. And again, I think what Anne-Sophie stated, uh, I think policymakers should be liable of what they are doing right now. And I think uh, right now the picture is bleak. The picture is bleak. We are still in an energy crisis. 
the climate crisis hasn't been solved. And as Anne-Sophie stated, perhaps the CO2 reductions that we've seen outside the power generation may be just because of deindustrialization, which is going to be a very bleak picture. So I think we, we, we cannot continue to just say, well, things are okay right now. We don't look exactly at, at the results, but it's going to be much, much brighter, much, much better in 2030, in 2040, in 2050. And I think we are very naive here. I think we need to address the energy and the climate crisis as emergency uh, crisis. And we need to do this in a step-by-step -step pragmatic approach, just to give you one element, because I think it's, it, it's uh, important. If we had, again, it's completely theoretical, if we had uh, taken completely the call out of our power generation and replaced it by gas, we would have reduced our, our emission in the uh, power sector by nearly 40%. And, and you can say this looks very strange. Well, this is exactly what the UK had done in 2016 to 2019. So again, I think we need to be pragmatic. I think we need to look at this step by step, not 2040, not 2050 targets. Well, thank you both for once more for your time and thank you for uh, thank you to all viewers and listeners. Uh, so this has been uh, NGW's In a Nutshell podcast, which takes stock of the most important development shaping the global gas industry. Thank you and see you next time.